0: Jim Stenman knows a good story, and it also happens that he can tell one, which shouldn't be surprising considering he's a media entrepreneur and a broadcaster whose career has included stints at Warner Media, and CNN International, which he worked at for almost a decade. He's created all kinds of digital content and covered stories across the world and interviewed some pretty engaging people, including The Daily Show's host, Trevor Noah. And as interesting as that may sound, his own story is just as fascinating. It starts in a town outside of Stockholm where he grew up with a Swedish father and an Ethiopian mother who moved to Sweden as a refugee. As you will hear, the influence of those merged backgrounds shaped how he's seen identity, culture, and class. And just as important has had an impact on the kinds of stories that he seeks and wants to tell. In this episode, from his current location in Dubai, he shares his experiences growing up in a mixed race household in Sweden, delves into his memories living both in the United States and in the United Kingdom during his university and early professional years, and discusses the benefits of not fitting into prescribed social boxes. He also deconstructs the challenges of trying to tell stories that are often overlooked and the struggle in changing a resistant system. As Jim will tell you, he's known from a young age that he wanted to work in media. But in this episode, I get to put him in the spotlight. Welcome to The Global Chatter. So so let's start from the beginning. I know that you're Mm -hmm. originally from from Sweden, correct? Mm
1: -hmm. So So let's...
0: So let's, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Where in Sweden did you grow up?
1: So I grew up in a small town, uh, probably about an hour's drive from uh, from Stockholm. I think it was roughly ninety thousand people back in the day when I lived there, but it's much more now. I know ninety thousand doesn't feel like it doesn't sound like a small town. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but it definitely was. Uh, dad from Sweden, but. His family was actually originally from Norway, so they they came to Sweden during World War II. And then my mom, who's had a massive influence on my life, she was a refugee from from Ethiopia.
0: Oh, wow. And so, where did your parents meet? Did they meet in Sweden?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm told that they met at a party in Sweden at a mutual friend's house. That's all I know. I haven't really dug into that too much. I don't know how much I want to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, we met at a party. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And so I guess at the point of your parents' meeting, how long had your mom been in in Sweden? Had she been there a while or was it fairly fresh?
1: I don't actually know. I think maybe two years, something like that.
0: Okay, cool. And so so to me, I already think there's a story there, because that means you were growing up kind of cross-culturally in Sweden, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so here's the thing that's um, fascinating. A few episodes ago, I had uh, Lola Akimande-Ackerstorm, Kingde- Kingonde- who is a photographer, and she's in Sweden and married to a Swede. And, and we were talking a lot about, like, identity and how actually more mm. diverse Sweden is than people think. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, just even in your own childhood, did you even see diversity where you were or was it still kind of on the up and up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think the story still is that Sweden or Scandinavia are nations of blondes, right? And we don't realize sometimes outside of Scandinavia, the, the reality on, on the ground. So there's been a lot yeah. of, uh, you know, migration, people that yeah. came in the 70s, in the early 80s, like my mom. So, I mean, I would say that in, in my town, there were a lot of immigrants actually from the Middle East, which is so okay. ironic because now I've, living here has, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, yeah it's, it's, it's weird. In a way, it's kind of like I'm reconnecting with, with that side a little bit that I experienced growing up. So there was, I mean, there was definitely diversity. I think that Sweden is not, uh, or at least back in the day when I was growing up, it wasn't always the most inclusive, uh, mm. you know, society. So it's quite segregated in, yeah. in some ways. Uh, I think that's changed a little bit because I've been away now for a while. So, yeah, yeah diverse diversity in terms of... Um, <laughs> having people from the Middle East, but I didn't see a lot of uh, Africans growing up mm. in, uh, in in our small town. So I think that made me, God, a lot more curious about Ethiopia, about Africa in general, because my mom is, she's very Pan-African. So yeah. obviously Ethiopia is her home. That's where she grew up. But yeah. she she's very proud to be, you know, African more broadly. So it just made me more curious about, discovering uh you know the, the the continent itself because the town where i grew up was was so small and i didn't really have um you know african or black role models around me yeah. other than my my mom so it's kind of a natural um evolution then moving to to london and i'm here as well so it, it made me Coming from a minority background, even though a lot of people would look at me and say, "You just look like another white guy." Right, <laughs> um, right, that's <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I, I keep hearing that, but it, but it made me, um, it made me curious to see more of the world. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious then, even with your small town and the proximity to Stol- mm. Stockholm, was there mm-hmm. more diversity? Like when you went into Stockholm, were you even seeing diversity there? Mm-hmm. And granted, everything's on a sliding scale, given where you are, but did you see more diversity yeah. kind of in Stockholm at that time?
1: No, I definitely did. Um, my godmother, who was Ethiopian, she lived uh, in in Stockholm, um, okay. and yeah, I saw a lot of black people. But I didn't really go into Stockholm uh, that yeah. often growing up. Maybe once or twice a year, because uh, oh, wow. my parents are okay. so they're they're small town people. Even my mom, so she's very comfortable, too comfortable, I'd say, in some ways. Yeah. Both my parents, they just like to stay in their own small town, and yeah. It was a it was a nice upbringing. I mean, I, th- I think my dad's family, for the most part, was very sort of embracing of my mother. There were a couple of hiccups, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. so I, yeah, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a bad upbringing in that sense. But I think that looking back on it now, I definitely would have benefited more from being in. Not just a multicultural environment, but being in an environment where there were more um, successful uh, Black people in general—I've always, yeah, it's something that I've craved for my whole life. Actually,
0: do you think that maybe part of that could be a reflection of if you were in a community that had a lot of immigrants, and we all know it takes a generation or two for mm. for a family to get sort of settled in a country, irrespective of where they're coming from, especially if they're not necessarily bringing wealth with them. Do you think so, that maybe that was part of it, just in terms of who you were seeing around, you know, typical Swedish or not?
1: <sighs> Tough question. I mean, I think that.
0: <laughs>
1: so, my. <laughs> God, I'm lost for words. Should what I. Have what, also, what I, I
0: I should have also prefaced this by saying that Amanda is also a counselor, so I can get on the therapy couch real quick. Yeah. So
1: do you just want to? So just repeat that question because I want to make sure that I'm answering it the right
0: way. Sure. Sorry. So so I guess what, in terms of you saying wanting to see more successful Black folks, right? And obviously there were Mm. few Black folks to begin with. But I'm also Mm. wondering, do you feel like some of that desire is just because the people of color who were around, maybe if they if they were immigrants, maybe first. Mm. They're still kind of starting Mm. their success story. So they're not necessarily where they could be yet because of opportunity. Does that that make sense?
1: For sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I saw a lot of um, missed potential, basically. Mm. And I don't want to speak for my mom, but I I think that despite having a Swedish surname, despite being married to a Swede, despite speaking pretty much perfect Swedish, Mm. In a sense, people like her, uh, and some people still today, it's like they have to overcompensate to be accepted as yeah. as, as being Swedish, as being European in certain yeah. um, other countries. So, and she was very, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have grown up with my mom because she's so proud of who she is, but she doesn't mm-hmm. think that she's better than anybody else. Yeah. So seeing this person who was incredibly hardworking, refugee, cleaned factories uh, to, to make a living, basically did, did the morning paper rounds for several yeah. years when she was unemployed. Yeah, It just made me, Um, I don't know, it just made me more sympathetic to mm. immigrants and the challenges that they go through. And I, I, I think I recognized quite early on that maybe society at that point wasn't, really inclusive enough that it wasn't willing to look beyond, you know, your origins and just like purely study your qualifications when when you're applying for, for jobs. So I definitely think that she, she could have found more success, but maybe, (laughs) maybe it was a different generation.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, fair. And I, I, so I'm, 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 I guess I'm kind of curious then, just even in your own childhood and obviously we'll move on to when you get to university, but. Did you ever feel any kind of tension just from the general community because you were biracial, multiracial, because you had a parent that was not, you know, su- typically Swedish? Did you ever feel any of that tension growing up?
1: I didn't because of how I look. So I'm, I can't really pass the Swedish. I mean, maybe people would probably think that I'm Mediterranean. Some people thought that I was... Uh, Arab, although that didn't happen too often, but yeah. most people are very sort of light and blue-brown eyes uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in, in Sweden, so it's quite rare to come across people that look like me and being purely Swedish. I, I don't think that happens too often. Oh. Um, I, I can't claim to have faced a lot of racism, I, I have to be honest. I think that mm-hmm. people... Maybe assume that I was adopted. That's something I, I got quite a bit. My sister as well. But looking the way that I do, and essentially, you know, passing, it just uh, it allows you to overhear a lot of conversations that make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I I always felt the need to stand up for, um, you know, for people like my like my mom because mm-hmm. I look the way that I do, but I'm still. I'm, I'm mixed race, but I'm also black and I'm also Ethiopian and I'm also yeah. Swedish. So I have all these things inside of me, but I can't deny uh, one side over the other because I don't, I don't right. think that makes you a healthy human being. So yeah. I would always question, um, you know, some things that I heard that made me very uncomfortable, you know, the N-word being used in a very sort of liberal way. Manner, yeah. But at the same time, I realized that Sweden doesn't have the same history as the U.K., mm-hmm. as the U.S. They don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, the, the historical context of,
0: uh, yeah. of,
1: of things like that. So, yeah, it was. Huh. <laughs> You're
0: like, let's walk it was, through it was, my childhood. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it,
1: it was, I mean, it was educational in a sense that it really, it made me want to connect with the rest of the world. And mm. I, I wanted to see successful black people, successful African, purely from a therapeutic uh, yeah. point of view. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't actually realize that until maybe about 10 years ago, because I, I studied in the UK. I, initially, I, studied, I did one year in the US, and then I wrapped up my studies in the UK, worked in the UK for a little bit. Yeah. And then I went back to Sweden for two years and I was working for one of the biggest media houses in, in Sweden at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, And I was there for two years, but something didn't quite feel right and I couldn't articulate it. And even though Stockholm is a multicultural place, mm-hmm. what, I, what I realized from having been away was that my cultural references of what's normal to me had changed, had evolved. <laughs> yeah. So then, I, so then, I decided to go back to London, and there's no place in the world that's perfect, right? But um, being back in London, that's when I really realized that actually, I need to be in an environment where I see successful Black people.
0: Wow, wow! Mm. And so, I mean, so here's so, because, so here's the, the things that come to my mind, and I'm I'm going to jump sure. in that U.S. thing in a moment because mm-hmm. that's usually mm-hmm. interesting to me. So, so teen years teen young adult, young adult. Mm-hmm. let's you know before you get to university had you traveled, had you within, traveled europe?
1: within europe um i had traveled within europe uh, full disclosure my my family we didn't have much money growing up so we traveled yeah. scandinavia i okay. uh, went okay. to went to norway to see my dad's family extended family went to denmark a couple of times didn't really travel as a family because of my, um, you know, my parents' financial situation. We, me and my sister, we went with my mom to Ethiopia when I was five years old and my sister would have been four years old. So that was my, my mom's first time going back. Um, that, that was, that was the only time it was safe for her to go back, uh, you know, given her background and how she left, uh, the country. So, no, we, we, we didn't um, travel. I, I mean, I, I lived in uh, in a bubble in a lot of ways.
0: And so, and so I'm assuming you finished secondary school and then you decide to go to university where? Like, was that in the U.S. or in the U.K.?
1: So finished uh, secondary school, high school, um, decided I didn't I knew that I wanted to go to the U.S. I, I think I had. The U.S. had always been in the back of my,
0: right. in,
1: in, yeah, in the, in the back of my head. I think I think it was slightly obsessed with it in a very, I don't want to say unhealthy way, but, but yes. I definitely uh, expanded my, uh, my, my, my view. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, so I, I decided to do a short university course for six months, English, okay, to, okay. Stu- to study English at a university level. So lit, history... yeah Uh, Yeah. covering the states covering the uk so that was a very much uh like i think a great introduction to to actually making that move and going overseas
0: and i had a total brain freeze just because we're talking in english Mm -hmm. and i realized wait a minute english is probably not even your first language but i'm like because you know right which would make sense because you grew up in sweden but you know my brain so where did you where you where did you go in the us
1: small town in pennsylvania
0: Okay. okay.
1: Cold and, Elizabeth Town, so about uh, yeah. Like 40, yeah 30 yeah. minutes from Harrisburg, yeah. I believe.
0: So, so you've, left you've left Sweden, left. <laughs> and you your yes. small town yes. in Sweden, small Sweden to go to mm-hmm. a small town in the U.S. US. The US. Exactly. And cute culture. I was shop. shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> what, the, what? the
1: highlight the the highlight of my week was walking to the local Kmart.
0: You know. <laughs> It was I tough. To <laughs> How? What? What was? What? What kind of threw you off? I guarantee I know some of the expectations you probably had, but what? What kind of hit you when you were like, "Wait, I'm in the small town here."
1: I mean, first of all, I think my campus was amazing. I, I, cool. I would say that I had hoped to probably make more American friends, but I, I, yeah. I, 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 I got, I got embedded with the international uh, crew very quickly. I. I think what surprised me was how segregated it was mm. in terms of in terms of the student body and you know you got the the black kids, the white kids and then the international students. People yeah. didn't really mix as much as I expected them to. So that yeah. that surprised me the most, but it's it's I think it's a natural thing in some yeah. ways.
0: And and, and- Yeah. I mean, the U.S. is Hmm. it's so fascinating because part of you wants to know if it's a history thing. And part of you wants to know if it's just you gravitate towards people, you know, and you like. like. And it also sometimes tends to to be across racial and ethnic lines.
1: Exactly.
0: You know, and so it's you you never really know. But I so I but I so I'm wondering, though, Did you have the opportunity to kind of go to some of the bigger areas, like some of the bigger cities while you were here during Mm. that period? And is that did that give you some of the American experience you were probably looking for?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I have, um, you know, I have a lot of uh, family in the D.C., Maryland area, and I was able to connect with my I call her my aunt, but she's technically my mom's best friend. So they uh, they
0: they fled. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, of she's course. your aunt. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, African aunt, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So so they, they fled Ethiopia together back in the day, and they were the closest of friends um, yeah. in the, in their teenage years. Spent a couple of years together in, in Kenya, and then they sort of went their separate ways. So I, sp- I spent a lot of time with my aunt, my uncle, who would be yeah. her, her husband. Yeah. And uh, it was just, it was a wonderful experience because it was the first time in my life that I had met people I didn't know and they just embraced me with open arms and Mm -hmm. I was part of the family from day one. Yeah. You know, it it makes me emotional even talking about it. And I think culturally we don't have that in Sweden in the same sense. Mm -hmm. But because, obviously, because my mom had been so close to them, Um, any, any child of hers is a child of theirs. And maybe, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what you get in, in African culture. I don't know, but it was such a beautiful thing. And still to this day, I, you know, I, I think of them as my spare parents. So I probably need to make more of an effort to to stay in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You need to call
0: them, call your spare parents.
1: But but, but they, they had also been, um, you know, my uncle had been very successful. He's, uh, he's one of the top spinal surgeons, I think, even, wow. even globally. Wow. So it was interesting wow. to see this Kenyan, um, you know, man who grew up in a rural community yeah. uh, on the border between Ethiopia and Kenya. And then, obviously, he spent some time in the UK as well, ended up in the US. And he's done really well. So, wow. again, going back to... The, the therapeutic thing that we talked about, it was so lovely for me to see that, to see yeah. that actually you can be successful,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can have an impact, and you can be well-respected. So that really, I, I, I've I never had this conversation with them. I probably need to have it at some stage, but it, I think it changed my life.
0: Mm. Well, and here's and here's the thing I think, thing I think when mm-hmm. you talked about having this desire for kind of the community and sort of seeing successful black folks that is such Mm. a good area to be in kind of that DC, Maryland, Virginia area, just because Mm. if you, you can see black success, you can see black excellence, you can see African success. success. Because there's so exactly. many different African groups. Um, and you and mm-hmm. I didn't talk about this, but my parents immigrated in the 70s from West Africa. And so mm. that's a, that's an area that I've always seen all these different African immigrant, immigrant groups come through. And you're right. Like if mm-hmm. if you were looking for those role models, that's one of the areas I would say to go or go to Houston or go, you know, that have all mm. these communities that you would go to, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's super wild, though. I, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you're kind of reflecting on this now. Because because this is, really, I think if, if they have if had that kind of impact, yeah, you need to, you know, check in on them to see, see what's going on. need to but, let them know. <laughs> let them know. But um, so I'm curious then. So you then, so if you were in the U.S. for about, what, six to eight months, less than a year, basically, to do this English program?
1: Uh, so I did the English program. That was actually in Sweden. Um, oh, okay.
0: And then you came... So then,
1: so, so then I came to Pennsylvania. This would have been in probably August or September. Okay. Of, nice. I think, 2003. I'm dating okay. myself slightly here. But uh, 2003. <laughs> okay. And then I think I left May, June, 20... Okay. Sorry, 2004. Okay. So yeah, so it was less it, than a year. I, I, than I, I always say that it was a year, but yeah, it was way less than a year. And
0: then... And then... Had you already made the decision that you were going to go to the UK? The
1: UK no, so my plan was to transfer. I wanted to go to a college uh, closer to my aunts and uncles' uh, house in in Maryland uh, because it was it was tough being in that small town in Pennsylvania, yeah. and I I just I couldn't imagine myself spending another three years there. Yeah. So I applied. Um, I think I was accepted in the end, but financially, it just wasn't viable for me to do that. And. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite different in, in Europe. You don't necessarily parents can't necessarily pay for their, right, um, for, right. their for their kids' education because of obviously taxation and, and things right. like that. So I decided to go to the UK. And it's funny, one of the one of my lecturers at my university in Pennsylvania, she she had lectured at the uni that I ended up going to in the UK. <laughs> Okay. And she told me, she, she said, Jim, you're crazy. You should go to the UK because you have an EU passport. So you have yeah. access to free education more or less. I think it was £1,100 back in the day, which is uh, it's, yeah. it's not much at all. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what that is in US dollars, but probably oh, less than le- 1500 less than, what it, <laughs> what it is,
0: less than what we pay, so it didn't even matter. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, you know, an admin fee essentially, and then you cover your accommodation uh, as well. So, yeah, I I was just kind of looking at the reality of it, reality of being in small-town Pennsylvania, not necessarily getting what I wanted out of that experience. Yeah. And I never had a desire to go to the UK or to live in London. I'd never even (laughs) been there, in in all honesty. But I decided to go for it because the the school that she recommended had a really good media program and Mm. I got accepted. Uh, Went back to Sweden for a couple of months and then uh, started my studies. And this would have been 2004, I think, in August or September.
0: Okay, so here's the transition from a personal Mm -hmm. experience that I'm really curious about. What was it like that short time going back to Sweden and then going from Sweden to the UK?
1: So, you know, okay, so first of all... (laughs) This, this was a while ago, right? I mean, almost 20 years ago. That's yeah. absolutely <laughs> Yeah, you're
0: totally dating yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay. I think I've over the but it's all, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good.
1: <laughs> okay, so one, one thing that really shocked me when I was in the U.S. was that I I completely started speaking with an American accent. <laughs> Right. And and, and I, I I wasn't speaking English on a uh, sorry Swedish on a daily basis. Right. Maybe, maybe I had that weekly phone call to my to my mom or to family. So when I when I went back to Sweden, I actually had an accent, which is bizarre. How can I have an accent in my own language? But I think these days we're so connected, right? We're we're consuming content yeah. in a lot of different languages. So. I, yeah I had an accident in Swedish, which was really <laughs> shocking, but obviously I got over that pretty quickly um, and um I'm just trying to remember so it would have been three three months. I was just counting down to go to the u k to to start my my new life. It was nice. It's nice to be home, see the family, yeah. connect with old yeah. friends but i but I really felt like this had this this was an old chapter, and yeah. I'm so keen yeah. to. To start my career, because the thing is, or, or even my studies at that point, because I've always known that I wanted to be in the media and I didn't want to waste any time. Mm. I just wanted to uh, <laughs> to start as soon as possible. And even that one year that I did in Pennsylvania, when I was studying uh, broadcast journalism, I ended up doing classes with seniors in my first year. Hmm which wow. I think was unheard of in, in some ways. Uh, yeah, and I did no, really well, yeah. despite <coughs> in, despite English not being my native language. Your
0: first language, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, so it's was just <laughs> extremely driven. Uh, I think too driven in a lot of ways that I, I didn't really allow myself to have fun yeah. back then. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's what happened. And then I went to the UK, uh, a place called Luton. So it's Bedfordshire, uh, about mm-hmm. 40 minutes outside of London. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was in for a shock because. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, the experience in, uh, in Pennsylvania wasn't perfect, but it was it was nice. It was a nice campus. It was right. a very peaceful right. town. And then I landed in this place called Luton in uh, outside of London, which is it's quite rough actually. <laughs> is um, it? Wow. Yes. I mean, I one thing that really shocked me not having been in the UK was just the level of poverty mm. that exists. Being from Scandinavia, I'm completely spoiled, right? We don't have I mean, some people some people refer to the suburbs as ghettos. Ghettos don't exist in mm. in Scandinavia. And I don't want to call this ghetto but i I would definitely say that it's it's a deprived area that hasn't seen a lot of investments maybe that's changed but anyway so i remember landing at the local airport and then taking the the train into the town center and it took me i think five five ten minutes and then i walked from the from the rail station to my future accommodation and uh, i was the scandinavian kid and i was looking at (laughs) basically this you know residential building that was going to be my home and you you know they had these uh, carpets it looked like something out of the you know yeah. 80s yeah. yeah it was just it was a, it was a different standard of living and i don't want to i don't want to knock it but in scandinavia we're really spoiled yeah. life is good yeah. people pay high taxes but man you get a lot of stuff <laughs> right. back
0: as we have heard yes yeah yeah but
1: but, but, you know I'll be honest with you I didn't really appreciate it growing up because I I wanted to get out I wanted to have that Mm -hmm. international career I wanted to have other experiences so I was willing to compromise on those things but now the older I get I really appreciate it (laughs) and I'm in some ways my, my parents would be delighted to hear this but I feel like I'm almost becoming a socialist which is something that I'd never say (laughs) <laughs> be, be, because you it's not it who is, I am right exactly you're in here yeah because those are the values that i that I believe in i don't I, I don't think that you should be judged based on mm-hmm. your background and your social status or your perceived social status uh yeah. based on what what your parents have done in life um yeah. so it was it was yeah it was humbling but I pulled myself up and I don't wanna <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time talking about that but it's just one of these moments. I'll never forget it. And then that was a reality check, and I just go on with it.
0: And so I'm. I'm actually curious in, in the, both in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, mm-hmm. Without meeting you, do people even assume that you're Swedish? Never. <laughs> there's never. There's never even a moment where. Never, <laughs> when, but I. Mm-hmm. So so what tends to happen is it just people are like, "Where are you from?" or they ask some kind of question where they're trying to unpack it but they don't want to be rude or
1: I mean I, I always get that question, but one of the things that I love about London is it's a melting pot yeah you, you just you fit in you don't have to justify yourself and you you might be asked where you're from, but I, I feel like it's not in a judgy way mm. um, Maybe I'm not expressing that the right way, but I, I have so much love for London. I got you. It's such a beautiful, such a beautiful city, and I've, I haven't spent that much time in New York. But I think New York is multicultural. London yeah. is international, yeah, with obviously multicultural elements as well. But it's truly right. international. What was your question again?
0: So I, I, because I was just really curious is that if people even Mm. recognize that they're Swedish when they meet you or even, and I guess even an extension of that is, are they surprised to find out if you mention it that you are Swedish? Is there ever just a sort of...
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they are. I think once or twice people have picked up on my accent. So maybe sometimes my Swedish accent comes through, I'm not sure. I think my accent is so messed up these days <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's mid, it's mid-atlantic so I think it has influences of, of the US and the UK and then I've just yeah. sort of yeah. made up my my own accent along the way but sometimes people um, sometimes people ask if I'm Scandinavian but it happens very rarely but then when you point it out they'll uh, you know they'll find hints of it and then they'll continue pointing it out to me but actually if you look at my features, I could, if I, you know, if if my hair was brown and I had blue or green eyes, I could probably pass for Swedish quite easily. That would probably and, I, be, and I think yeah. that's why a lot of Africans or even Ethiopians would never uh, make the connection because I don't necessarily look the part, right? I'm right, I'm right there, <laughs> sort of bang in the middle between my parents.
0: <laughs> right. right. Yeah, no, and, I, um, and I, I like to ask that question of everyone irrespective of their background, especially when they they either go back to quote, unquote, whatever the ancestral home is, and the people can kind of Mm. pick up there from there, or Mm. if they move to a different locale from where they grew up and see how do people sort of place you? Because I I mean, I I feel like that is such, and it's interesting what you said about London. I feel like Mm. it's such a marker of the US where we're always trying Mm, to place people. I don't know, I'm sure you've noticed that, right? Where we're always like, Mm. where are you from? Where are your people mm-hmm. from, you know, mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. and, and what, it's and fascinating and when it's you meet folks who are coming from other places where that's not necessarily the question, necessarily the question because, because they are used to sort sure. of the international, inspi- environment. international environment.
1: environment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's actually really tough coming to the U.S. I think as an international person sometimes to, because you have to, you have to find a way to navigate the racial yeah. dynamics. Yeah you know, yeah. and it's, uh, if you, uh, I mean, obviously, people around the world, they, they see BLM protests, um, mm-hmm. they understand what's happening on the ground, they're reading the news, they're consuming the news, but you don't really understand mm-hmm. what it's like to be black in America, unless you've lived it, or yeah. maybe if you're, if I, I think if you're white in the US, obviously, you've interacted with black people your, your whole life, and some, to some extent, unless you're, Living in a very rural place, but I found that very difficult. I didn't know. I didn't know what I could say or what conversations yeah. I could have with, with, uh, you know, with Black Americans and African Americans. And I'm curious, right? I, I think that um, in my late teens, one thing that I didn't understand, <laughs> I think this was probably the first time I went to Baltimore. I was uh, I was staying with another aunt who had a coffee shop. I think at the uh, at the courthouse in uh, in in Baltimore, and uh, one of one of the workers in our coffee shop was was African American, and I didn't understand why she had an Anglo-Saxon surname. So I made the mistake of asking that.
0: Does, <laughs> yeah. does that
1: make sense? And no, it's, uh, no, I, I, no, I know where it, you're going. It was, it, and it was, it was a Scandinavian name. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. So it's just right. yeah, it's just really difficult to if you haven't been exposed, it's difficult to to navigate those dynamics and that's and that's also why, you know, I kinda told you earlier on that I understand why older people in uh in, in, in Scandinavia would think that it's acceptable to use the N word, for example. Mm. Uh it's 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 all about context, I think, and understanding, which through travelling and through mm-hmm. having experiences and just meeting people from other backgrounds that's 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 how you how you learn so i mean i i found that a little bit difficult to navigate in, and yeah. initially I'll, yeah. I'll be very honest with you but i'm so fascinated with the u.s african-american culture and i mean it's i think it's just incredible what black people have been through in america and then come out on the other right. side i mean it's still ongoing right there's still yeah challenges as we've seen this week but hopefully maybe things are moving in the right direction now who knows yeah
0: i mean i yeah. think, I mean, I think it, it's so funny because so we we grew up, grew up different but i mm. came back to the u.s so i was in the u.s till i was 10 people have heard the story moved to cameroon mm. when i was until i was 17 came back by myself mm. and oh, wow. i mean and obviously we present different i'm dark-skinned you're, you're fair-skinned and um you're clearly blocked i'm clearly <laughs> right, right. Let's, let, let's just call it for those who can't see <laughs> right um but what's what's really interesting is that i what you're saying does resonate with me because even with that you still have to navigate like there's a very there's a crazy line that you're navigating whenever you start to get into race in this country, right? Because for me, what, what, what I always like to tell folks is, I left the country, I was a minority, fine, you know you're a minority, whatever. I stepped into a place where I looked like the majority, but I've always sounded like this. So I've always sounded American, class differential, all of that, and then come back out of being in the majority looking back into a minority where then now you have to navigate the nuances in it. And as you know, this country is so big as far as the U.S. is concerned. Mm. The nuances even look different depending on where you are in the country. Oh oh right. Yes. And so you're right. It is. It is. I don't I don't think people particularly understand the mental gymnastics a lot of black and brown folks kind of go through both both who are born in the U.S. and raised, mm. but those who come mm. and 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 to a certain degree and this is the thing i think has always frustrated me is that you can be a black person from somewhere else but once you mm-hmm. come to the united states like you're black you have to deal with <laughs> right? the reality
1: of being black in america <laughs> right? absolutely
0: like, if you don't get to be you know panamanian or german or any or nigerian or french because we've got it reduced to color and so then we lose mm-hmm. the nuance of stories and identity and history mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation where you have to react to things that maybe you never even thought or conceived. And
1: yeah, and I experienced that firsthand because my my um, my uncle he was living and working in Alabama for a couple of years, rural Alabama, and just <laughs> yes. walking through the town, driving through the town with a black family. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm probably the only person who could pass for you know, maybe Latino or Mediterranean <laughs> right, family. Right, right. And just, there's something in the air. You can't articulate what it is. But yeah, I've just never experienced anything like it in my whole life. And it's it's tough. Yeah. It's really and, tough.
0: And, and, it, and here's the funny thing about a place like Alabama. I tell folks, because I, I live in the South. Alabama is something like 30%. Like it has one of the largest... Black mm. populations Black population in the like, if you look at Alabama yeah. and compare it to like a Minnesota, seriously, mm. like the Deep South because slavery—that's where folks first came and then they were they went to the parts of the country and so, but you're right. It is all of a sudden, irrespective of where you come from. Imagine you you walk into mm. your own racial narrative that you weren't looking for, but by virtue of just how the way Absolutely. you look, yeah, man.
1: And 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 especially. Being in that town with a black family—that's—that's that's when you really. I mean, had I been on my own, maybe my experience would have been a little bit different. That's but fair. even my, even my cousin, who's uh, half Ethiopian, I think half half Greek, he was he was adopted. Yeah. Um, but he but he looks more. Um, you know, he gets mistaken for being Latino or or Mexican, <laughs> right. and and uh, apparently someone at the supermarket walked up to him and asked him. There's no polite way of saying this, but are you an illegal alien? purely based on what he looked like. And then he responded, even though he hadn't been born in the U.S., he was you know, naturalized, he responded in a perfect American accent. So there's something about Alabama. I mean, I, 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 that place in Alabama, there's something. Sorry, there, I'm still some... stuck on the
0: story that someone walked up to someone and had the balls to ask them if they were legal and and what were you going to do if they, first of all, if they said yes, but even, even okay, anyway, sorry, you can continue.
1: your I, I know, <laughs> no, 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 so, so what, what What I was going to say, there's just something in the air, maybe maybe it dates back to slavery, I can't articulate it, I don't understand it, I, fi- I find it interesting, but it's but it's like parts of the country are still stuck in right. that right. era and unable to move forward, and I think that's the story of America in some ways, you have... Right. This progressive, modern part that's looking ahead, yeah, and then you have the rest of the country, like <laughs> be it the South or maybe even the Midwest. Like I'm generalizing very broadly,
0: right. yeah, but of course.
1: Uh, that's what's yeah. so sort of fascinating about about the U.S.
0: And it's in, and the thing is, it's in pockets too, right? So. Mm. You know, I, I have a, a friend of mine lives in California for a long time, and California's got parts of it that rival mm-hmm. <laughs> the Deep South, right? But you, right. you are and I, I think that's the tension that we're seeing, right? And 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 especially, mm-hmm. I think with with the past year in politics and the election and George Floyd as much of the world <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know, watched either in horror watched or confusion. <laughs> um, mm. just sort of watched just the past year. And so mm. I like I, I'm like, I'm like, I'm then I, fascinated I because you've, fascinated you've alluded to this in, in terms of your professional career. How do you mm. think these experiences you think you've had sort of, you know, living in, in the UK, living in the US, you live in Dubai, you travel, how do you think it's impacted mm-hmm. your storytelling and the kind of stories that you are sharing?
1: Uh I think I mean when I worked for CNN I was definitely very interested in telling stories from 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 Africa um, mm. it's uh I mean obviously yes there was a therapeutic element to it but I I yeah. was generally interested in just highlighting news and interesting things happening that actually are relevant uh globally so I think I I sought those stories out uh, a little bit, and then obviously I, I, I moved here, mm-hmm. familiarized myself a lot with the Middle East as well. I find the Global South, the developing world, really important. And I thought that mm-hmm. I was progressive. I thought I was international living in London. And I'm not saying that I wasn't, but what I've realized now after moving, moving here, having been here for a while, is I was very sort of London-centric, Hmm. in how i viewed the world so london was the center of the world to me yeah uh in, in in some ways and i think what i realize just living here and being more exposed to people that don't necessarily have second passports who have just arrived from nigeria or india or you know whatever it is it just yeah. uh it 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 brings you closer to uh to the developing world and, and people who have other experiences who aren't necessarily West African diaspora in the UK, mm. somebody that, I'm not going to say claiming to be Nigerian. They Obviously, yeah. you can be Nigerian through having Nigerian parents, but if you're born and raised in the UK, you also, you've also you also had a British experience mm-hmm. or a, a London experience. So I, I think that it's just kind of changed my mindset when it comes to that a, a little bit. But it, in, in some ways, I mean, I i do I do love London I guess mm-hmm. we'll see if I move back at at some point full time but uh it's it's definitely it's exposed me more to other perspectives and I'm yeah. so glad that i that I, that I got that opportunity because nobody nobody's superior to you. We all have different experiences we hold mm-hmm. different passports, but that doesn't doesn't, how do I articulate this the right way? It doesn't capture your experience. And maybe that's what I realized through having a mom that was a refugee. Mm-hmm. So now people, obviously when they, when they ask you where you're from, they want to place you in that box. Yeah, That's what it's yeah. all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't have a box that fits me. And I think sometime, I mean, cer- certainly when I was younger, Maybe that was a problem. Maybe I wanted to fit into the African box or the mixed race box or, Mm -hmm. you know, even the Swedish box at times. But because of how I look, people don't want to accept me into a specific box, which has been challenging, but it's actually a blessing. (laughs) It's a blessing because I'm not going to allow myself to be defined by how, other people see Mm -hmm. me and expect me to be and now i've just kind of i've formed my own identity which is this hybrid of different places that i've that i've been to and then the experiences that i've had having had the the mom that i that i that i do have but also having the swedish culture so i've i've accepted that and i think that's been a journey and people really struggle to understand that. Understand
0: that. <laughs> because you don't want to be in the box. And you don't need to be in the box. You don't need to be, to be quite honest.
1: I think it's a blessing not to be in a box because you're not allowing yourself to be defined. You can, you can You're more open to having other experiences. You're more open to learning from other people. I mean, I have friends from all over the world. Yeah. I have yeah. obviously living in the UK. I had uh, a lot of uh, friends who were African diaspora, or you know, recently moved from from Africa, but also India and other countries in Europe, everywhere. So it expo- it, it, it exposes you to the diff- to to just a different mindset than you're used to. And I think yeah. I, yeah. in some ways, I know you're a counselor, <laughs> but I became <laughs> addicted to that because right. I. Because it makes you... You're learning more about the world through yeah. Yeah. other people. And I think that we're all defined by... this. In some ways, this is the, one of the biggest challenges I have with, this, with, with the planet that we live on, that we're yeah. so defined by yeah. our own experiences. So then we're viewing mm. the rest of the world through, through that prism. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was doing the same thing, and now I, I try to look beyond that. Uh, it's not easy, because I think we all have... Um, you know, we're, we're all fighting our own prejudice in in some ways, but it's, yeah, I think it's just opened me up in a way that I didn't expect.
0: So I, so I, so here's where I, 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 then I'm a little bit fascinated in terms of kind of what you do into your career. um, what do you think is the challenge and this might be a difficult question, but Obviously, you, you have an interest in the world, but you do have an interest in the global south and, and African mm-hmm. and kind of more of, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say the developing, what do we call emerging, mm-hmm. whatever the positive mm-hmm. terms are. Global. Um, I, th- I think
1: global south is quite. Global concealed. south, is
0: the, that's the good one to use. Although <laughs> okay.
1: so, so, some, some people won't agree, but yeah, right. can. Right.
0: please everyone. What do you think is the, you think challenge? Think the challenge? in telling, telling the stories the kind of coming from that region. Meaning, meaning I know that one of I my, it was kind of a low mind. question. One of my frustrations as <laughs> someone who mm. obviously like you has <laughs> ties to the continent is that mm. sometimes the narratives sometimes that, we the see, that we see, it's never, never, let me not say it's never, never that's the inappropriate word, but they're but often, they're framed, often framed, framed within a negative context, a negative right? Context. right? Yeah. Um, um, and, What do you think is sort of driving, I guess, when we're looking at storytelling coming that's focused on the region, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the most positive stuff coming out, right? The the war, the conflict always leads, but what about other stuff? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I think to some extent it's just the nature of the news industry. It just, Mm. it's there's not always enough room for positive stories. But I I mean, I would definitely say lack of diversity in newsrooms, Mm -hmm. in decision-making roles at an executive level. Yeah. And not only being interested in quote-unquote sexy stories, stories Mm -hmm. that are regarded sexy for a global audience. I'm I'm talking blockbuster. I'm talking... um, you know, kidnapped schoolgirls. I, I hate to yeah. use the language yeah. in that sense, but I think you understand yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. you know, um, terror attacks and so on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's, it's believing that a global audience won't be interested in African stories that don't necessarily make the cover of the newspaper. Mm. And I, I think, you know, if you're working for a global news organization, you you have to reflect the world. And if you're not mm-hmm. reflecting the world in your newsroom, not just in your newsroom at a, at a ground um, level, but in decision-making roles, then your coverage is always going to be biased. Mm. It's always going to be biased because you're someone looking in from the outside. And th- that's not to say that you, you can't be, you know, white British covering Africa mm-hmm. or an African covering Asia, yeah. but yeah. you just, you need a lot more balance, I think. And one thing that I find really shocking when it comes to how Africa is seen by the rest of the world, is just the utter ignorance in terms of all the development that's happening. Right. And yeah. I mean, Af- Africa. obviously, we're, these are extraordinary times because of COVID. But certainly, if you look at 2019, Africa was home to several of the world's, I think, the world's fastest growing economies, essentially. Mm-hmm. but if if I talk to people back home in Sweden or in London who aren't in that African <laughs> bubble or the developing world bubble to some extent, they have no idea mm. they have no idea, so they don 't understand what 's happening and i and I think that maybe you know us in the media we're doing a disservice to to that audience if we can 't tell those stories so it's it's something that i 'm very passionate about and i in, in all honesty I wish i had been more outspoken
0: mm-hmm.
1: when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And I think that there's, I should probably, I sh- maybe I should have made more of an effort uh, mm-hmm. to sort of speak my mind and share my thoughts earlier in my career. But I, but I felt like it was very difficult for me to, mm-hmm. to do that without facing some backlash. But I think maybe when they hear it coming from somebody like myself, instead of, <sighs> you know, someone who's clearly black or African, maybe mm-hmm. they'll—I—I I, I don't want to say that they'll take it more seriously, but um, you know, I'm—I'm in—I'm in that group, but I'm also an ally who looks different.
0: Right. Right.
1: So I—I I, I have to be honest with you. In the UK, I, I found it very difficult to have those conversations, and I wish I—I I wish I'd said more. I wish I'd done more. So
0: I had, so uh, had Chipanda uh, Chimbalu, uh, Chimbalu, 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 who's a red virtuala, and um, we had a similar conversation, and and he, you guys are almost speaking verbatim, and I don't know if it's both the European. <laughs> both media and I think it's the European it's the media it's you guys are kind of swimming in the same space and that he talked a lot about that diversity and and we were talking right after George Floyd right so really the Mm. diversity in the media rooms and so I'm I'm going to presume then that Mm -hmm. if we're looking at like international media world stage that probably the diversity at that top level is not where it could, yeah, it could be at all. Yeah, at all. <laughs> yeah that's easy to... Yeah. All right. and,
1: and, 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 and a lot of it is window dressing. You can mm-hmm. have talent that's black or talent that's, uh, you know, that ticks other non-white boxes. Yeah. Um, and that's not to yeah. say that the talent doesn't have influence, but if everyone... And I believe in this. I feel so strongly about this. If you do not have diversity at an executive level... And you're not serving, you know, you're you're a non-country specific broadcaster. Yeah. You're actually ser- servicing the Global. world. You're doing yeah. your yeah, you're you're doing your audience a massive, a massive disservice, I I think, because it will be reflected in your in your coverage, but it's about seeing the value in that. And I think obviously over the past year, um, things have changed. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of companies are making more of an effort, but it's but it just feels like window dressing or changing the color <laughs> yeah. of your company logo yeah. on, on LinkedIn. I don't have the perfect...
0: <laughs> Sorry, you said that. I just called someone else on that because I, I don't know what was going on. And then I was on LinkedIn and I went, did they change their logo? And I can't remember if it was for black history month Month, or if it was for asian american American awareness awareness, or it was lgbtq like it was it was something and i went went, okay but are you really as progressive as that logo logo says you are
1: yeah no i'm I'm with you and (laughs) how are you how are you creating opportunities for people within your organization so maybe you don't have that representation at a board level or executive level or even senior manager level but what are you doing to address it yeah, that's, yeah. Um, I see, I'm, I'm not seeing enough action in that area. Um, and so I, I, and I, mm-hmm.
0: Go ahead. And well, I was gonna say, and to your point, I think then what happens is what happens that those of us, you know, we've been fortunate in this life to be able to travel. A lot of people don't travel for a variety of reasons, and they may not get to see the parts of the world that we have seen. So what they know about the world, Often mm. it's going to come from what they see. What they let's let's you know the two sources. Absolutely. It's going to be the news and it's going to be movies, right? Or mu- or music. Mm. And 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 then I, I that's the thing that always concerns me because then you know you know I can travel to places and and a lot of the stereotypes I, I run up against is because people have seen a stereotype. About, it depends on what's going on that mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. the U.S. or mm-hmm. West Africa, right? <laughs> right? Like depending mm-hmm. on what's yep. happening. And mm-hmm. I but I keep I, thinking I to myself, think there's so many vibrant, vibrant stories or even even a different way in how you tell the story, right? Because I do think mm. that you could tell some of the same stories. But if there are more perspectives in the room, kind of the angle you might take might look a little bit different than, you know, for someone who's just kind of I don't wanna say removed, but doesn't have as much of a I don't know, dog in that race or whatever, or stake in it. I don't know if that makes sense from a, from a new mm. standpoint. But does that mm-hmm. kind of make do you, do you kind of get where I'm, yeah, going, no, with
1: where I'm no, going with that? No, yeah, no, I agree with you. What's interesting is I think it's changing a little bit. And Netflix is actually a good example of that. Because Netflix, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. they've expanded so much globally, right? Yes. So a lot of the shows yeah. that they're commissioning, even if, it's, even if it's a UK show or a South African uh, original, yeah. because of the formula and the, the different variables that they're looking at, they want their shows to be able to appeal to mm-hmm. a global, diverse audience, which I think is great. Sometimes it's interesting when you look at the casting because you're seeing so many mixed-race couples. Yes. And I, I, I wonder, like are they, is, are they doing this because it's a, it's a formula or is it actually instrumental to the story? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So so yeah. I mean, I I find that really interesting, and I wonder sometimes how that's going to affect the next generation. So if you're in your teens, growing up, yeah, uh, Yeah. binging on Netflix, and you're seeing that kind of representation on a, I mean, hopefully, I I hope kids are reading as well and not just lying on Netflix. (laughs) But if but if you're consuming that content on a daily basis, does it actually shift the mindset? I don't know.
0: I think it, does. I think it so does. So, so what we're seeing, what we're seeing with, Gen with Gen Z who,
1: mm. it's way oh, that's, that's it, that's exactly
0: that's no, but we are seeing no, it. So, so like, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Like, like, example. like, so like I finally just so was, was like, it, like whatever, whatever, let me get on TikTok. <laughs> But TikTok, is-
1: I, I, I have an account. I haven't posted anything. I, no, I. But, I don't know. but
0: I'm, not, I'm not posting. I'm just. It, it is. You can spend like two hours just like watching fifteen yeah. second increments of crazy, right? Um, but what I, one of the things that's fascinating, kind of watching Gen Z on TikTok in particular, and and to a certain degree, millennials and even younger Gen Xers, is that to your point to i your think point, we are seeing that representation yeah, where people are more comfortable right yeah. with 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 Sh- groups and with people and ideas that maybe they didn't grow up with and so no. i think it's just the norm for them and 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 the other thing about gen z is that they're very value oriented and i always have to tell employers this so so part of the reason you're seeing those mission statements Yeah, it's window dressing. But it's also as they're interviewing, they are asking employers employers in a way that millennials and Xers did not. They're going, so tell me, tell me about how, you know, you define diversity and inclusion. So, so Mm -hmm. I, I think we're, we are getting there, but
1: this is so fascinating. I was just thinking about this the other week. <laughs> what are you really?
0: Are you really? Yeah, Tell me. And,
1: and and I. So obviously, I'm working for myself now. But if I was interviewing for a full time role, or if I was offered one, I would I would ask the company that question. What does inclusion and diversity look like at your organization? Absolutely. And Unless I'm completely out of money in my you know my personal bank account and, and not desperate to go into that role, that answer is going to dictate whether I want to work for the company or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I never thought I'd be in that position. But Isn't I think it wild? Just, it's wild. But I think because of the last year and then standing up for your values, I think sometimes when we work for these big you know, not just media organizations, yeah. but conglomerates, you, uh, I don't want to say that we're selling out, but you kind of have to, it's, it's a difficult world to, to navigate. And yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: how do you, how do you bring, it's, this is such a cliche thing, but how yeah. do you bring your authentic self to work? Yeah. And is there even an opportunity to bring your authentic self to work and still be successful? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like maybe I'm kind of learning how to do that through running my my own business. Yeah. But I've never yeah. felt like I could fully be my authentic self in a corporate environment, and on reflection, maybe that's why I wasn't as successful as I would have liked to have been because I wasn't really Being yourself. You know, sharing my Yeah, in my sharing my full color. So it's really interesting. Maybe maybe it will be different for the next generation. I mean, I'm over probably overthinking everything that I do. If I'm posting something on social media, I'm asking myself, okay, how, right. how, how, how is this going to be perceived by other people?
0: Same, same, then, same. <laughs> but but I think, but I think so I other disclosure, career counselor, I'm also a career counselor, so this is also why I talk about jobs all oh the time. I'm going like to
1: have to schedule in a session with no, you afterwards you're like, and actually like, pay for your time.
0: You're like learning every part of me through my questions. Through my questions. But... But you are so right. And I think what's great about Gen Z is that they've kind of given everyone that license license to ask the questions because even even the students and the clients that I coach, Mm. man, let me tell you something. Let me, let 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 me 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 be really honest. So George Floyd happened happened, Mm. and all of a sudden, and I, and I work with, I, so I also work at a university and I work with a really particular group of students in a particular area, which is really a little bit more traditional. But after mm-hmm. George but after Floyd, all of a Floyd, sudden, of us, my graduating my class that was coming up this year, this students year, were like, okay, we need to ask about diversity inclusion and inclusion, inclusion now because I really don't want I, to work for someone sh- who, cannot tell, who cannot, cannot tell me how, how they, if they value this, how they implement, how they it. implement mm-hmm. it. And, and what, we're mm-hmm. seeing, what we're seeing and what I'm seeing with clients seeing more and like, more is that they just want to ask because they're like, you know what? We can't. I don't want to work a job where I come to find out you're supporting something that I don't agree with or that I find very detrimental to society. And I think part of it is a function of age, but in terms of there be more caution with millennials and Gen Xers. I mean, definitely with Boomers. Boomers, Boomers are trying to. They're just kind of shocked. Not all of them, but some of them are definitely like, "What is happening? You just show up at the job, do your thing, and go home." But Mm -hmm. I think we are prioritizing values. We are prioritizing Mm -hmm. well-being. Mental Mm -hmm. health is another thing. Kind of who we are. Like we don't want to work all all the time, which is why I think we're all doing what we're doing doing now. now. Um, Mm. Which generations before. And here's, okay, so this is crazy. And I, I know you're on LinkedIn. There is a story going viral right now, which is amazing. So this guy, Basically had a heart attack at work. Okay and he he's he's alive. he's alive he wrote a post wrote from, a from his from his from, from his the from, bed, bed, from the from bed from hospital bed. right but he basically said bed, i just realized bed, look my, my first thought, thought he, was he had these chest pains these and chest pains, pain. his first thought was like thought crap i need to get this <laughs> email to my boss <laughs> oh my gosh i have this project to do then he thought then he wait a wait, minute wait, wait, what, if wait, 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 what if something's happening i hope my wife doesn't I find me dead and he basically decided from now on i'm cutting my hours i need to lose this amount of weight Hmm. This job is great, but you know what? It's not worth my happiness and my well-being. Well, I mean, he also uses some colorful language, which I'm not going to use on the podcast. But was basically he American? Is he American? No, no, he he was. You would have thought because work-life
1: balance. I mean, right. work-life balance is tough in the U.S. You, People don't even take their holidays.
0: No, we don't. No, he was British. He was British. He was British. Okay, okay. But you, I, I swear to you, go on LinkedIn today. It's like the mm. number, like one, two, three. It's like one of the top three things I'll have to trending. Check it out and i'm just right. sitting there and i'm thinking and he's literally got the mask on and he's like mm. yeah you know actually you know how i know he was an american because a whole fight broke out in the comments over universal healthcare <laughs> and so that's why how i knew he...
1: are we, why are we still debating these things i'm so i'm so sick of it.
0: this is how you i know knew. No, he because you, someone said imagine if he was american and then then a fight broke out so that no he was not american but but my point so being like, is, is that oh. this guy literally was just sitting there mm-hmm. going i almost died and i can't believe my my last thought would have song been, would have <laughs> been <laughs> i need to send this email because i think he was for hbsc and he's like i have to send this email for this that and whatever he's like no sorry I'm, I'm done and so yeah mental well-being and just quality of life if we don't come out of covid better on that front then mm. I think we, we had a massive missed opportunity in terms of reshaping work, reshaping culture, reshaping fit. Mm. I mean, honestly. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think employers are definitely gonna have to be a lot more flexible and you're not necessarily gonna go into the office every every day anymore. So I, th- I think that's, it'd be, I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen. I think it's gonna be a hybrid model. Mm-hmm. I probably For me, moving, moving to the UEE, definitely taught me about work-life balance and it was the first time that i could just kind of take a step back and i didn't have to worry about money again living in london is really tough yeah. um, especially when you're working in media and, and journalism specifically if it's not a senior role i think if you're a freelancer or if you're on the management side, it's it's easier. But I was living paycheck to paycheck, um, yeah. and commuting into work probably took about an hour yeah. uh, each way. So it's 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 tough. I don't want to complain too much. But then I came here, and I just I found that I had a lot more time on my hands, and I was able mm-hmm. to to work out and just prioritize health. Look at what I'm eating. I have put on a little bit of weight now, but <laughs> COVID. <laughs> the COVID house. <laughs> as, 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 yeah, as we all have, but now I I really value that a lot more mm-hmm. than um, than before, and it's it's funny. I think in the UK, ah, drinking is part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. And I've never been um, an excessive drinker, but I mean, certainly if I had a bad day, I would just go to the pub, maybe have a drink or two, yeah. have a little bit yeah. of a sometimes a bitching session with with colleagues or whatever. <laughs> And and now, yes, I do. I do still do that sometimes. But um, I'm more. I, I just ask myself, okay, how do I stay as healthy as possible? Yeah. How do I stay positive? Does it mean waking up early in the morning, working out, being in the sun? We're so blessed to have those things here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So maybe I, I. don't know. Maybe it's you know part of it is probably just getting older and um, shifting your your mindset a little bit. But I think a big part of that as well is working for yourself instead of working for somebody else and then realizing that you have to be disciplined because you don't necessarily have that same structure mm-hmm. every day and nobody's going to save you. You have yeah. to save yourself. Yeah. And that, I think, has been one of the biggest blessings, realizing that and taking that on board. And even, even if I find myself working f- full-time you know, for somebody else in the future, unlikely but you know you never know
0: <laughs> right. but if
1: I do that's going to be that's going to be tough when you're used to managing your your own time and your own life and being your authentic self just yeah. like you um, you know like you referred to before so i think it it's so fascinating because my parents they believe that you live and well you work for the same company for decades of you course. retire of course. you of get course. your money
0: and then that's and that's it, it. <laughs>
1: and and the you know the state is going to treat you well and i just don't i guess
0: it's so I generational. It's, Trust yeah, me, it's it, so generational.
1: It's, 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 it's generational, but I, I don't want to outsource my life to somebody else.
0: Well, you know what it is. Well, you know what it's a marker. And I, I
1: don't expect marker. other people to make the right decisions and treat me the way that I'd like to be treated. So <laughs> well, I'd much here, rather be making well, less money, perhaps, right, and not have as much right. stability, but be my own man or right, you know, own woman.
0: Right. Well, here's, here's well, the here's thing, thing though. I think it's also a marker of being... Gen X, millennials—is that, millennials, that, and Zers really—is that really. you, mm. there's a suspicion? We, there's a healthy uh-huh. Gen there's Xers, right. especially, are very, are very suspicious, and, suspicious and, suspicious and I think older millennials, are, millennials just because, are just because mm. where the generations have the sort generations, of seen things just, fall, people apart. People just fall apart, <laughs> you know. So. You know? September 11, so, or 9-11, um, um, recessions, global second, recessions, kind of all these other things that have impacted people both globally and mm-hmm. nationally in their countries. So we're not very trusting of of authority to take care of us because they're not doing the best job they are with the generations that kind of came before. And so I think it's right. and I And honestly, too, who wants to work all the time? And I think that's what I loved about I living you know, in the Gulf is that that's probably the first time I had true work life mm. work life balance and work-life it is a very american balance. term. But you know what yeah. I mean like it was just like it was just like when it was a certain was hour a certain people hour, bounced people like bounced. maybe even before that mm. hour. Before it was not <laughs> <laughs> we're not working late. We're not working on the weekend. We're not working on a holiday. It's yeah. it's and I loved it and I, and I loved absolutely, it. Loved it. absolutely loved it. And it can be hard to replicate when you get out of that space but it looks like you're but then you also are working for yourself so hopefully you are you're working that in
1: yeah yeah i mean it, again it's 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 really interesting because i think that was one of the things that frustrated me about sweden and scandinavia mm. growing up and then spending Maybe the early years of my career there and even when I when I worked in London, I was in a Nordic role, so I, I dealt with Scandinavian uh, offices. officers. So I just yeah, I noticed people don't respond to emails after four thirty or five and you just you shut down, you shut off completely. Oh my god. You don't pick things up until the morning. So I I I, I didn't like that. I thought that there was something wrong with even though I was familiar with that it mindset. Was,
0: they were but prepping now, you for the life yes. you needed to act. You're like, why are but, but, you doing
1: this? Again, this goes back to the socialist thing that I was talking about before. So, so now I, th- I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe something changes when you hit your mid-30s. Now I think that's the right approach. And actually, if you do your job properly, right? Uh, and I hated hearing this back in the day because maybe I didn't do things properly. I don't know. But if you do your job properly and there's a handover and you communicate clearly, mm-hmm. there's actually no reason to be on email in the evening, and you pick things up tomorrow. I mean, obviously if you're a noose and you're working on a live show, it's a different story.
0: Absolutely. But Absolutely.
1: there's another way of doing things, and I think we can learn from that. Like, even in the UK, work-life balance is much more of a challenge versus Scandinavia. And yeah. I think in the US, you could learn from it as well, because <laughs> I mean, I don't no, know. We I don't, I don't, no, we need
0: it. <laughs> we need no, it. you
1: need it, but, but, but I guess the question is, how productive are you guys? Uh, that sounds a little bit co- co- mean- confrontational, but the, but the reason why I'm asking it, the reason why I'm asking is because the UK, even though people work long uh, long hours, apparently it has one of the lowest uh, productivity <laughs> levels in the, Western in the world. world. In the world,
0: wow. wow. Well, here's, so here's, so here's the thing okay. I will say about the US, and I was talking to Lola, who I told you lives in Stockholm. I think. Hmm. I think one of our things of is our innovation things and independence, independence right? Independence. So mm-hmm. we, so yes, we will work in, you, you, but you can see the fruits of it, right? We'll work insane hours, mm-hmm. but then there are things that so, kind of benefit the world or whatever. The world or whatever. Yeah. I think, though what, I think though, what 2020 has showed has us though, showed is that, that, and I've said this even set to this two my, two my, two and my supervisors and, and people right? I've worked with, whatever, is that, whatever quite that, honestly, honestly, you give me four days a week, I can knock this out. In fact, in fact, not being in the office mm-hmm. because I'm an early riser. So, I got my, I, I, my day can be done by nine a.m. if I just don't have to talk to at like nine or ten, right? Oh, okay,
1: okay. And then, and starting, then what, start, start, starting what time though?
0: Man, I'm crazy. I'll get up at four and knock stuff out. Four or five. Uh, four or five. Um, yeah, I'm early. But yeah, here's early. the deal.
1: Those the hours day. are like magic for me. I remember oh my gosh, Back in I can uni, move I, the world. I would <laughs> Yes, I, I would wake up at five and then I'd be done by nine. And studying, then you're like, you know, <laughs> writing an essay, writing an article. I really need to tap into that more.
0: And and then here's the and, thing. And then, then the rest of the day I can do. interviews, interviews, right? I can mm -hmm, meet with people mm -hmm. or whatever, because I don't want to look at my computer and it have to be typing mm -hmm. at one, two, three, basically after lunch. So what's really cool is that we're seeing a shift now where they're thinking, okay, we've got to change things up because number one, mm -hmm. people have been productive and they can come into the office. Mental wellness is super important. And number three, Mm -hmm. why are we doing the same thing over and over again, just because generations have done it? it doesn't necessarily make sense. And so, I totally agree with you. I think that we as a as a the US as a country, we know we don't take any of our vacation. Like every year we leave millions of hours collectively on the table, which is, which is wild. Like we're not taking our full vacation at all. But it's
1: that fear. It's it's a fear of being replaced, right? Yes.
0: Yes. yes. Absolutely, because you're like well, it, but it's it, it, but it's like a never-ending cycle, right? Because you, you no, it work makes hard. sense.
1: I hear it. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right? You work hard because you want you mm-hmm. want to show that you're valuable. But then you don't want to yeah. work so you don't you don't want to show that you're you show so good at what you do that you make yourself efficient uh, that you get yourself out of a out of a job. <laughs> of a job. <laughs> that job. It's, it's a weird a cycle, weird and so yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I'm totally yeah, with no, you, and, totally it's, with and it's and it's interesting and when you take it across the world because then you go to other places where, places where I can't lie, I can't my lie. Americanness mm-hmm. kicks in and goes, this could be so it's much more, efficient, more Italy, efficient, Italy, if you just opened yeah. up, no, <laughs> if you would just you, you know, just, know. open yeah. the hours that you say you'd be open or show up on time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm just let me let me not call out Italy, but, um, but um, yeah, teaches so, you
1: how to be patient. <laughs> Uh, Especially sure. living here. Oh my yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. No. no I be
1: careful I, with what I say.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I, I definitely um but I, I started to embrace it living in the Gulf and it was kind of cool just to have that different experience. And also mm. and also because the work hours are different because of, you know, religious observation for the, mm-hmm. the, the Muslim mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. And so, and so all, of a sudden, all of a sudden I felt like I really only had Monday through Thursday because you know, the folks, at, you know, the folks out west, we couldn't reach them anyway. And then no mm. one's going to respond on Friday. And really, no yeah. one's really doing anything Thursday after, after, <laughs> after one, two, three. So. But as we I remember to- that go ahead, go ahead. working in,
1: in Stockholm as well, especially on a Friday, Friday afternoon, nothing gets done.
0: Nothing gets done. Meanwhile, and I leaned
1: into that as well.
0: <laughs> meanwhile, I'm getting meanwhile, emails getting at email 4:59, 4:59 on Friday, but, and okay. and the type A person <laughs> in me wants to respond, but then I have to say, have to say dude, "Dude, it's okay. It's okay. Monday, Monday. <laughs> we'll be fine." <laughs> we'll be fine. Um,
1: that's the, I mean that's a beautiful thing if you, if you don't have to respond if you can get away with
0: it. Well, 99 percent of the time you can Let's just be honest. Most of the time, it's us that are kind of putting that pressure. But, um, yeah. but as we start to wrap up, one of the things I, I like mm-hmm. to people ask people at the end. I like to do these. I call mm. I call them lightning round questions. They're not really lightning round. They're just mm-hmm. only called lightning round because it's whatever comes to your mind first. Um, okay. okay. And so we're gonna do this. Did I actually write questions down this time? I did, I did, I did, I did. Okay, cool. Okay, so mm-hmm. first, thing, first thing. You've been in media for a really, really, really long time. Well, let me not make it sound like you're super old. What has been <laughs> your and you can you can answer either or. What has been your favorite mm-hmm. interview that you've done so far or your favorite story that you've covered?
1: <sighs> um I would say. Like the most striking thing was covering the refugee crisis. So being in um, being in in Italy, I think it was mm. Sicily. I, I could be wrong. And there were these um, migrants that have mm-hmm. just been um, obviously they they were stranded on on dinghies out at sea and then picked up and, and brought into land. Yeah. And they were all East African. They were all mm-hmm. East African. So they looked like my family members. And seeing. Seeing those people um, coming coming on shore, it was very emotional. Yeah. Uh, equally, I, I covered uh, you know the migrant crisis in, uh, in in Greece as well. So I was on one of the islands that wasn't too far from Turkey, mm-hmm. and seeing those migrant landings uh, when 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 you know the Syrian refugees themselves, there were some Afghani's as well. So they yeah. came over on on the dinghies and. Just seeing, seeing, their facial reactions, seeing 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 their, seeing them making phone calls to family members back home, uh, yeah. maybe other people who've already arrived in Europe as soon as they get on shore, and, and the happiness uh, in still being alive. I mean, obviously, some people have lost, yeah, family yeah. members and loved ones um, along the way, but I think that's always gonna that's always gonna stay with me.
0: Mm. Wow, ooh, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect that, mm-hmm. but I asked, so here we, go. here you go. Second um, question. Second question. And this is this is real interesting in light of what you said earlier. Uh, what would you do? What would you do if you weren't in media?
1: Ah, so <laughs> I thought about life coaching, actually.
0: Did you really? Did you really? Yes. Tell yes. me
1: more. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think that I've, I've, over the years, I've always had friends turn to me for for mm-hmm. advice and guidance around, you know, life decisions, career, and so on. So that's something that I had in the back of my head before. But actually, probably what I'll do now, and I want to try to see if I can sort of transition into it a little bit without leaving media behind completely, but I, w- I want to lecture in media part-time and just share some of oh, my cool. experiences, yeah, my knowledge, yeah, yeah to just, um, you know, give give opportunities to share insights with other people. So I think on uh, on Sunday, I have this catch-up with a former colleague of mine from Kenya. He's studying in California mm-hmm. at the moment. So it's, it's interesting about... You know, when it comes to getting older uh, and you've been yeah. in the industry for a while, people start yeah. reaching out for, for guidance and, uh, and advice. And I think it's such, a, it's such a beautiful... I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's a beautiful thing to, to give back, not just because I want to be a good person, but because I actually enjoy the process yeah. and sharing, sharing those insights and, and, and experiences, but also learning from, from other people. So that's something that I really enjoy. And I think I need to do... More of it because it makes me happy.
0: Yeah, no, you know what? And I, you're talking. I'm thinking that would be super cool because of just all the kind of folks that I come across doing the Black Expat, and mm. every now and then I've got like a couple of young people who are thinking about media, and they and they've mm. got this international love and this sort. Of, and I'm, I'm even thinking of one person right now. They have this. They're trying to figure out how to make it work, and so I think that your skill set would be very valued, especially when you're looking at sort of folks trying to get their way in. And mm-hmm. and and folks who are trying to get their way in who maybe didn't have any exposure they're kind of like the first ones in their family or whatever in their space to go in. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think oh totally, especially in the digital age. So.
1: Yeah, and 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 I find it so meaningful to be able to help people like that because again, my parents, uh, you know, he did not have a lot of money. I wasn't that exposed through yeah. the experiences. Um, you know, of of my parents. And I never thought that I could have a career in the media industry, let alone on a world stage. I I thought it was impossible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I I think that we're capable of doing so much more than we realize. But it's about Mm. using those resources that are available. Um, And I think, you know, again, just going back to growing up in Scandinavia, because of my mom's experience, I realized that, you know, I should not take universal healthcare for granted i should not take free <laughs> higher education for granted right. because it becomes a like it becomes a launching pad for for your yeah. career whether you want to you, you know you want to be based locally or globally so yeah. use use what you got what's available to you and your voice and your experience matters mm-hmm. and then by 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 bringing in those other perspectives i'm so passionate about this the content um, that you're producing, especially if we're talking about media, it's going to be so much more engaging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like we
1: need more. We need the human angle to be part of every single story that we tell. Mm. Once you get that, even if we're talking about politics, yeah. it's so much more powerful when when you make that part of the story because yeah. I, I think that gets lost. Unfortunately, and that's when people people tune out in, in my experience. Anyway, next question.
0: no, and and no, I, just as an add-on to that, you're right. and I right. in this past election past cycle, election cycle yeah. one of the things that one I think things stood, things stood out to me as I was awesome. reading sort of American national media when you kind of dug in. Yeah was, I I found myself gravitating towards the journalist who had a connection to that community or understood that community, whatever the community was, right? And and so, especially when you Mm. got into like race race relations and race issues, there is a nuance nuance (laughs) that the the way that that they could could explain and articulate certain things things, that someone else else wouldn't pick on. And you are absolutely right. It is, it is worth it.
1: But do you know, can I just say quickly, Yeah. what I find so interesting about that is having lived and worked in the UK and experiencing British journalism, I almost feel like we're taught to not bring those personal experiences to the table, hmm. to not, not get really. emotional. Maybe you care too much because you are black or you are mixed mm-hmm. race or you're part of that community. So it's almost like you're penalized for it. Whereas yeah. I think in, in, in American journalism, maybe there's more room and i think opinion pieces any any type of content where you can share your personal experience and then i mean hopefully try to be a little bit critical of as well but of put it into a bigger context that's going to connect with people so put some soul into what you're doing and don't be afraid to share your 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 own journey
0: and i think that's maybe I what the shift we're seeing now in society now, right? right where right. we are mm. as we get more inclusionary we start mm-hmm. to see those those changes. I like to that group. term, inclusion. Inclusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm the gonna it,
1: start it, using it,
0: it inclusion. <laughs> well, it's been. I mean, the alternative has been true for a long time, right? People have been excluded. So I'm like, we're now getting to a point where we're saying, you mm-hmm. know, don't just don't. Be, I, I gave this lecture yesterday. Don't just be at the table, but now you actually have a voice that's that belongs and is allowed to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's that's inclusion. I think we're moving past just oh we need different people but you actually need to hear them right exactly and then all right last all question right, last this, this should be this is actually like the easier of the three <laughs> so last question i i just realized because you gave like not that i didn't expect you wouldn't give deep thoughtful answers but i was like oh these
1: sorry have i been too thoughtful too <laughs> deep?
0: Not, not, not too deep okay last question um yeah so if you you are currently in dubai right now if you are not in dubai where do you think would be the next spot you would love to live
1: Ooh, so this is something that I'm thinking about right now. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult because uh, I'm pretty much open to living anywhere. However, having said that, my, my heart is in Africa. Um, whether that means living there full time or just being you know, aligned yeah. in terms of time zones. Um, so I'd probably say Europe, Africa or, or mm-hmm. the Middle East. Yeah. Um, but being being able to to travel as, as much as possible i mean i think asia's interesting but i, I don't really have a strong connection to that region at the mm-hmm. same time i'm thinking about you know possibly heading back to the us if the right opportunity mm-hmm. uh, arises so I'm, I'm pretty much pretty much open let's let's like, see let's, like...
0: so basically <laughs> you said everywhere but australia yeah. new zealand Oceania, and, and south america yeah, south basically america.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe even Sweden. Who knows? Um,
0: no, no. no, and you know what? If you do go back to Sweden, I would be absolutely fascinated what it'd be like for you living there after being gone for so long. Because that's always a story when you go back.
1: I'm doing a, I'm doing a documentary on it, actually, based on Are my you? own. so So not necessarily moving back, but what it 's like to so it's essentially exploring what the black European experience is yeah. like yeah. through through the prism of someone like myself who, who doesn 't look the part but then meeting people like my mother essentially
0: yeah. uh, who
1: have you know yeah. either found success or challenges so that 's something that i 'm really interested in, in doing because i I, f- I feel like we have to we have to give these voices a, a platform, but I also want to I want to share my experience in a in a vulnerable way, I, I can't yeah. claim to have experienced racism on a daily basis because I, I sure. don't think that's true, but sure. I really want to, I, I want to share my experience and then maybe bring some other people, yeah. you know, along yeah. the way who are going to be more receptive to maybe looking at the black experience in Europe because it's me. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay, when,
0: that so happens, when that happens, uh, call me uh, call a, cause okay. I, wanna it, I want to see it. B I want to sure. promote it. See, I just love—I just, love, I just love, love those kind of stories. That's that's the stories. kind of like video stuff we love to do anyway, and so mm-hmm. I really, really want to follow that because, um, as you have said, and have, and have definitely, we've talked about, black experiences are nuanced, mm-hmm. nuanced and and. Okay. And as it as inclusionary as we are at the Black Expat, I'm always wanting to talk about experiences in other places, just so that people have a glimpse into that. And so I think that that's going to be a great story that you're going to tell. So I'm excited for you.
1: Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate Susan. it. And it's uh, I never expected to be on a podcast like this <laughs> because of who I am and my experience. And people, I mean, yeah, people don't see me in that in that manner. So they don't see you a, in the you manner. Mean, manner. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's it's just really interesting to be able to you know share share my story because it's I think it's different from yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: from the, from, from, the, uh, from the the typical. The t- we'll yeah, typical. from
1: the typical. I'm trying to be. I'm probably over analyzing what I'm saying right now, but I I really appreciate the platform and it's you know it's been an honor. So.
0: Oh my god! Thank you. Well, Jim, I'm going to throw up when we uh, obviously, as everybody knows, when we go live on the website, we will have all your contacts of folks who want to follow you on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else and the stuff that you're doing. But thank you so much for coming onto the chatter. I promise it was going to be a lot of talking about you and just life. And I I think we did that. Um, As always, for everyone who's listening in, you can find us on theglobalchatter.com as well as theblackexpat.com. Thank you again. And we'll catch you next time the global chatter with the black expat is hosted by me amanda bates it is produced by justin williams you can find the show wherever you get your podcast or follow us on our youtube channel at the black expat presents